Welcome all to the James Exchange. I am Nancy Gill, your host. From blight to bright, from old to bold, from vacant to vibrant. This is the mantra of Echelon Resources, the company that would like to put 205 apartments in the Scottsville Tire Plant. Today, I have Edwin Gaskin, the owner-developer of Echelon Resources, with me, and we are going to talk about those apartments. Welcome, Edwin. Good morning, Nancy. Thanks for having me on this podcast. I think the folks in Scottsville and around Scottsville will be very interested in what you have to say. But before we go into the apartments, let's talk about you. Tell us about your journey from being a policy research director to the owner of Echelon Resources. Well, it's it's a bit of a journey. Um, and I'm an introverted type, so I, I typically don't like sharing such detail. But I, I left graduate school um, with the intent to work in, in state and local government. Uh, my, my goal at the time to, was to be a city manager or a county administrator. Uh, that was my career path. I worked for a time for both the state of Indiana and then moving to Virginia, uh, the city of Richmond, in a variety of roles. And uh, I love doing it. Uh, I have a financial background, a public finance background, and it enjoyed many great years doing many great things in the public sector. And when I was working with the city of Richmond, um, this was sort of pre-Doug Wilder, right before that transition. You know, R- Richmond is a wonderful place, but the city government at the time deserved a lot of its sort of dysfunctional reputation. And I was a young uh, economic development staff member, and because of my financial background, I was put in charge of a lot of projects that involve public financial participation. So if a developer came in town and uh, they wanted to do X, but the city had to do Y, and there was a, you know more of an involved component from the city, that was my job to to manage that. And it was so much fun, and it was so scary, and it was a delight, and it was terrifying working on these things, uh, not only representing the locality, but working shoulder to shoulder with the private developer. And it was a lot of fun. And honestly, I was probably shouldn't have been put in charge of so much responsibility, but I learned a ton and just really enjoyed it. And a few years later, I decided to step out on my own. I didn't really know what that meant at the time. Uh, the Ucrop family, uh, Jim Ucrop in particular, encouraged me to tried the private sector uh, in terms of consulting and development. And at his suggestion uh, and mentorship, I I did the first few projects I did with Jim Ucrop and then set out on my own accord. So my wife and I started Echelon Resources about 20 years ago, and uh, we have been focused on what we like to think are meaningful projects uh, all over Virginia and even in North Carolina. I've never, though, Nancy, I've never felt far from the public sector side. Most of our projects involve working with localities, uh, either buying properties from them or at the very least working on some sort of problem solving, whether it's environmental remediation or uh, some kind of rezoning or redevelopment priority. So I've never felt like I really left that table. I was working at with the city of Richmond. I just moved to another chair. And I think my background with in the public sector has allowed me to relate to the municipal leaders I've worked with over the years to get some some shared successes. A lot of the times the projects we work on are the important project for that community. And a lot of times those projects have 
a long list of challenges that can't be solved by either the locality or the private developer. And so it's been a joy to work on some of these projects where we're, again, shoulder to shoulder, solving these problems uh, towards a shared objective. It's fun after some of these projects are complete to see them years later where they're being highlighted in conferences. Like uh, we presented multiple times at the Virginia Brownfields Conference, for example. Just the, a few weeks ago, I was presenting at the Rural Planning Caucus. All of these things where developers and municipal leaders come together to uh, learn how to problem solve complex sites. That was probably more long-winded than you'd like. My apologies for, for that. Well, that's okay. I did ask the question, didn't I? This brings you to Scottsville. And recently, as you probably know, I spoke with Charlie Armstrong, and he made it very clear that they were not selling the tire plant factory and the property it sits on, but they are entering into a partnership with Echelon Resources, and I believe that partnership is called Scottsville Lofts. Can you tell us how, first, you found Scottsville, and secondly, how you and Southern Development decided to work together on this project? Sure. Uh, So we actually looked at this uh, looked at Scottsville and this site actually a few years ago. Contacted Matt Lawless. Uh, I actually forget the origin of that contact, but uh, he told us about this building. We got very excited. We came out and toured it. We didn't have a clear vision at the time of the redevelopment design of what it might be. Uh, I went and met with Dr. Hurt of Virginia Land Company, talked to him about his intentions. At the time, he wasn't really interested in entering into a purchase contract. So everything kind of went on hold. A few years later, uh, with my business partner, Randy Cosby, we were touring a very similar building in the Manchester neighborhood of Richmond that had been recently redeveloped. And I walked through this building and it was really awesome just to see how the design team had taken the challenges of this particular style of building and uh, redeveloped it. It was it was bold. It was interesting. It was not something I had seen before. And I, when I left that building, I turned to Randy and said, this looks a lot like the Scottsville building that we couldn't imagine a solution for uh, previously. Why don't we take this back to Matt and see if we can get traction there? And so we did. And that started a, a journey that I guess re, re-began uh, probably 18 to 24 months ago where uh, we started working with Matt to secure grants uh, from the state through the town to investigate uh, a lot of the uh, open items about the building. And on a parallel track, we recontacted Virginia Land Company and tried to enter into a purchase contract. Well, somewhere in that process, um, Southern Development, Charlie Armstrong's uh, company with along with partners, entered into a contract for that building. So that was a bit of a surprise for us that we thought all, all was lost, but we reached out to Southern Development and I think Matt actually connected us. And we sat down with him, had a great meeting of the minds, had a great feel for sort of the personality and intentions of the others. And we decided to explore a development partnership. Uh, so where it stands now is they have the, a subsidiary um, the site under contract to purchase from the seller, and we have a development partnership with that subsidiary. 
So we will be partners with the Southern Development Principles in this project should we move forward with this redevelopment proposal. You mentioned the historic tax credits. How do they work? Mm -hmm. well, that is a great question with a complex answer that I'm gonna to try to avoid and I'm gonna give you the nickel answer. <laughs> okay, so historic rehabilitation tax credits are essentially government incentives uh, for redeveloping historic buildings per the U.S. Secretary of Interior's standards for rehabilitation. That's a real thing. I didn't make that up. You can look it up online. Um, I will. They're basically, design, <laughs> they're basically design guidelines that are governed by the National Park Service, the U.S. Secretary of Interior. And so when a building is eligible for this program, then you can submit a redevelopment plan to the Virginia Department of Historic Resources and the National Park Service, and they judge whether or not your redevelopment plans conform or not with the standards for rehabilitation. If they do, you get what's known as a part two approval, part one being historic eligibility, part two being the eligibility of your specific redevelopment plans. So you go about the work then, you got their approval, you secure the financing, you redevelop the building, and then you submit what's called a part three application, which basically says, hey, I redeveloped the building for these plans that you approved, come inspect it. And so you submit all sorts of audits and photos, and if they agree that you did what they had approved, then they award you a tax credit. So at the federal level, that's 20% of qualified expenses. Some expenses qualify, such as framing, paint, uh, you know, most of the things that you would say are the guts of the building. Some expenses don't qualify, like appliances or site work. So, so everything that's qualified, say you spent a dollar, you would get 20 cents in federal tax credit. On a parallel track, the Virginia credit is 25 cents of that qualified dollar. So you have 20 cents of federal credit, 25 cents of state credit. And so the goal now is to find somebody that can use those tax credits. So as the project developer, we monetize those tax credits by finding somebody that has those tax liabilities and we basically make a match with our tax credits so they can offset those tax liabilities. So we often syndicate to folks like Sherwin-Williams, uh, Hershey, uh, Nationwide, corporations that are using these tax credits as part of their tax planning strategy. So we enter into partnerships whereby they enjoy the tax credits and they contribute equity to the project in exchange for using those tax credits. Well, thank you for the nickel version. <laughs> there, there's a deep rabbit hole we could dive, dive down, but I'll spare you and your listeners from that. Thank you. So a few years ago, the Commonwealth basically did away with municipalities requiring proffers for them actually more or less demanding proffers of developers. Yet a developer can volunteer them. Can you tell us what the town actually gets in proffers that you have offered? Well, that's a great question. The only one that comes to mind, um, I'd have to look up our zoning application to have it in front of me, but the one that's most fresh on my memory is the one that actually came to light um, in the planning commission process. Um, 
several of the planning commissioners were very concerned that our project was uh, devoid of any commercial component. And so they, they asked that a certain percentage be effectively reserved for commercial use. And we agreed to that uh, conditionally that they approved a waiver of the parking requirements for that use. Uh, we believe that operationally, the project could park just fine uh, with both the residents and that potential commercial use. And they agreed and approved it at the planning commission level. So that was the most recent iteration of the uh, proffers. The other, uh, I think the big one that comes to mind is of course the issue of affordability. Right now, I think Arbor County, and forgive me if I quote this exactly wrong, um, they have a priority for 10% of units to be essentially offered as affordable housing. And we voluntarily proffered that we would double that, that we would be at least 20% of our units to be available as affordable units. So uh, there are other proffers in our zoning application, but I think those are the two big ones that have generated the, the most discussion. Well, one that you didn't mention that actually goes to public safety. And did you not agree to basically give the town $200,000 toward the 20% match for sidewalks? That, that is correct. Thank you for jogging my memory, Nancy. Correct. That is uh, a no-brainer, in our opinion, to, to go ahead and, and help that infrastructure be built, built out. I've said it often in meetings, we would have little or no interest in this building if it were, you know, kind of five miles in any direction, you know, sort of out by itself. Um, our perspective is that the success of this project really relies on its connectivity to the town itself. So now we are within the town limits, but on the very edge, and we want to do all that we can do to really uh, engender and promote the idea of pedestrian and, and you know, bicycle connectivity back to the town. And that sidewalk contribution was a priority for the town, you know, per Matt Lawless, and we were happy to work with him on that. Uh, not only, you know, this isn't specifically part of the proffer, but proffers, but, you know, as part of the uh, work that led up to this is that a large portion of the site is already dedicated into an easement. Um, and this is really outside the berm to the, to the southeast, if I have my bearing right. And we're excited about that because we see eventually us tying into a town trail system and a nature walk system that everybody can enjoy, but also creates an, this public use component of the beautiful natural surrounding around the site. Uh, yes, it is an industrial building, but the fact that it's effectively surrounded by, you know, just this beautiful natural context, I think is a huge selling point for us and is an appeal for me. Every time I go out there, I just walk around and I'm amazed at uh, the wildlife that you typically wouldn't see <laughs> surrounding an industrial building. So we're excited for that, not only to promote um, that very important element of the site itself, but again, to create more threads of connectivity back to the town proper. So should this application go through and you are able to build out 205 apartments how does that affect 
jobs because you have said that you're not going anywhere. And I think that solidified with the partnership with Southern because they're not going anywhere. But how does it affect the management of the apartment complex? Well, I think we need to look at jobs two different ways and through multiple filters, okay? Channeling my, my economics background, we talk about direct jobs, right? Those that are directly generated by the project. Um, fairly easy to quantify. But then we should also acknowledge that there are indirect jobs, right? If we have 205 apartments, uh, let's say there's you know 1.5 people living in each apartment, or let's say two per apartment. So that's 410 people. Um, you know, those people are frequent in the town and town businesses and thus generating other employment indirectly. And then there's another level called induced that I don't even pretend to know even how to calculate. But in terms of direct jobs, when we're talking about permanent pro property management operations, once these 205 apartments are built, you're really talking between three and six. It's not a big jobs generator. Um, you're going to have some full-time property managers slash leasing agents. Uh, you're going to have uh, some full-time maintenance staff, um, <coughs> excuse me. And then you're also going to have, you know, contracted, this would fall in more of the indirect category, you know, probably landscaping services, uh, the local plumber, the local uh, hardware store, folks that we are directly interacting with, but not directly employing. So that's outside of that three to six jobs. And it, that's probably a substantial number at the end of the day. During construction, though, albeit short term, you're really talking about hundreds of direct jobs. You know, to build a project like this takes about 18 months at, at, the, at the least amount of time. And when it's really going full tilt, you're talking about hundreds of people operating inside of those buildings and on that site to meet our construction schedule. Um, so that's a big number, albeit short term. But you can imagine, though, the economic impact of those hundreds of jobs in terms of spending in the local community. The indirect impact of that construction is, again, something a bit above my pay grade to calculate, but it's significant when we talk about local suppliers, contractors, hardware stores, service providers, everything from pest control to buying doorknobs to air filters to graphic designers, there is a very large indirect component that will have a, frankly, an indelible mark on the town's economy moving forward, both during construction, certainly in a sort of a spiked way, but long term in a significant way with the permanent jobs that are created. The last thing I really want to talk to you about is property values. No one's, I haven't heard people first talking about the job opportunity in the, within the town, but property values. As you know, Charlie Armstrong has strongly indicated that should this application fail, then he is moving into the by right use of creating an industrial park. Do you see a difference in property values versus an apartment complex and an industrial park? Before I get to that, Nancy, can I can I go back to the earlier question and make one other point? Yes. I I, I neglected to mention when when you ask about jobs, I talked about the operations of the job, but what we're overlooking there is, of course, the work from home tenants. 
And we presented about that in our meetings. But even post-COVID, it's interesting to see that those numbers aren't trending down. There is a, you know, we, we obviously operate our own portfolio of apartments around the state. So we track somewhat anecdotally the work from home component. And it's interesting to me to see all the entrepreneurs, uh, all of the side hustles, all of the go-getters that even though they may have a primary job or even if they don't, there's a lot happening in that dining room table. Those are jobs that are difficult to calculate, um, but something like Scottsville Loft as what we propose is really set up to encourage those folks to live there. We're going to have uh, a very social community. We're going to have a very amenitized community. We'll have a pool. We'll have a, a club room to die for. We're going to have, um, you know, a great fitness center slash gym that might be open to the public, and depending where we go with that commercial space. We'll have an extensive business center. Not only that, we will wire the apartments and bake into the rent high-speed internet so that if somebody doesn't need specialized internet services, they're, they're ready to go. They can plug in and start their business from home. I have no clue as to how many jobs that may be, um, but we hope it's a big number, frankly, and it should dwarf certainly the, the property management permanent jobs that I mentioned. Uh, even if, a, you know, say, 10% of our tenants are doing that, well, that's, you know, again, 40 people. And that's, I think, a significant number. Okay. Now to go to your question. I can't really speak to the industrial use scenario. I'm not an industrial developer. Um, I do think we can all intuit from our just life experiences that putting an industrial use in that corner of the town you know, the site itself is perfect for it, right? Large buildings, a good lay down area, it's fenced, there's a berm, it's hard to see unless you're ambitious slash trespassing. Um, but the use itself, in terms of its impact on property values, I can't help but think would be deleterious, right? You're going to have traffic going off valley onto Bird or the other streets to connect back to Bird that are at the very least panel trucks but could go all the way to semis or low boys with heavy equipment. Um, that in and of itself probably is an additive in terms of property value to the surrounding parcels. So that's my attempt at answering that, but I will disclose that I'm not an industrial developer, so I don't uh, speak with authority on that. I can say though that in every redevelopment project we've done that has really injected energy in terms of property values to the immediate neighborhood. I actually live in one of my, my properties. <laughs> um, I, I believe in our work so much that I actually live in one. I'm standing in that right now. And when we redeveloped this particular building, around us were vacant lots. And uh, it was generally kind of a decrepit area. And when we did this project, it effectively catalyzed the redevelopment of some of the historic houses around us and has resulted in the construction of very nice homes all around us. I think the problem is, Nancy, when people roll into any community and they see a big blighted building, they wonder to themselves, well, why should I invest there, right? If, if this big, large monstrosity is sitting there looming over any potential investment I make, why would I, why would I do that? Why would I invest under that shadow? 
So time and time again, as we've invested all over Virginia and North Carolina, we are in the, uh, the happy role of effectively taking a blighted element and abating it. And when we do, that unleashes sort of the animal spirits of the market in the neighborhood around it. Because um, we're taking away the bad. We're filling in the donut hole. We're, we're solving the equation. And that's really gratifying to see. And we've seen that time and time again. In fact, I can't think of a single project we've done where that wasn't the case. Probably most ambitiously is a project we uh, completed last year, phase one of, in Suffolk, in a very, very tough neighborhood. So tough that, you know, the first day we opened, there was a gun battle on the street in front of our building, and there was bullet holes in our club room on our opening day. So not an auspicious way to, to, to begin your, uh, your property management cycle. But during that project construction, in a neighborhood that has literally not seen new construction in decades, we started seeing houses get redeveloped. We saw across Saratoga new businesses opening. We saw new homes being built, again, on streets that we would all consider pretty rough and untamed. And we know that happened because we were making the big investment across the street. We were taking a big chance, and that motivated others to take smaller but no less meaningful chances. And again, going back to my perhaps uh, idealistic public sector days, where I focused a lot on community development and economic development, that is incredibly gratifying to me to see us being able to move the needle from a negative to a positive and then have other people through you know, diverse efforts you know, also see that momentum and capitalize on it. So I don't think there's any argument to be made that's valid from my perspective that the Scottsville Lofts investment wouldn't inject a great deal of property value increase in the immediate neighborhood to the benefit of all, frankly. Yeah, it, it, that's always interested me, but no one's talking about it. And I, I guess I don't understand why they're not talking about that and not talking about potential jobs. Well, some people, some people, Nancy, I'm sorry to interrupt. Some people have actually used that as a counter argument to us in, in other projects saying, well, if you do this, my property value will go up. My assessment will go up. and I, you know, that, that's a valid complaint. None of us like to pay more in property taxes. We, we all like the worth of our home to go up when we want to sell it. Uh, but when we live there, we want it to be worth less, so we pay less in taxes. So there are consequences to any path that's taken here. I would like to think that the Scottsdale Loss investment uh, not only will be a productive business venture for us, but will create ripples of positive value in the immediate neighborhood and in the whole town. Uh, not just quantitatively, not just assessments and things like that, but I think from a narrative perspective, hey, good things are happening in Scottsville. This is a tremendous historic redevelopment. This is a great example of recycling old buildings and moving from an obsolete industrial site to something that's relevant to the town's future moving forward. So there's a quantitative and qualitative component to this uh, that I agree uh, people should talk about more because when we have a choice, we can either drive our decision by fear when we've seen a lot of fear and sort of misrepresentation with some of the comments that are out there, or we can do so by optimism and say, hey, 
the future is bright. I want to be a part of that. I want to help shape that. And we believe the Scottsville loss development is part of that optimistic vision for Scottsville moving forward, that it's a great place. And let's add to that greatness with a well-thought-out investment made by a qualified, experienced team. Well, thank you for joining me this morning. And I'm going to tell you, I want to close with this. You mentioned earlier that as you did your career journey, you just move to a different chair, I would suggest that you move to another rung in the ladder, hence the name of your company. That's good. I like that. Level up, which is effectively what echelon means. I love it. Yeah. And on that note, you know, I could ask you many more questions, but I'm not going to. I'm going to let people really listen to this podcast and come to their own conclusions. And perhaps they will reach out to you if you don't mind. No, and, and we would like them to. We, we've from the beginning said that, you know, we, we want to hear from folks. We, we've already been influenced by we think are good ideas. Uh, we've made adjustments. You know, town staff has been amazing to work with on this journey. The, this concept, this project has been largely shaped by that conversation. But even just as recently in the 5,000 square foot commercial piece, I think long term that will make the project even better. And that was done by a dialogue. So we've got a project uh, website, scottsvilleloss.com, Facebook page correspondingly. And, you know, the project email is scottsvilleloss at gmail.com. We encourage people to send us their ideas, their concerns, their complaints, their criticisms, and maybe even the compliments. And I think amidst all of that, we will continue to accrue great thinking so that together we can make this a terrific project. Well, thank you, Edwin. And again, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule. And I will look forward to what people say about this particular podcast. So thank you again. Thank you so much, Nancy. Have a great week. You too. Bye-bye. As always, if you have a story, a song, an event, an issue, or you just want to have a conversation, I would love to hear from you. Have a great day.